Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome along as we meet to worship the Lord together. Uh, if you're new to us, please do, please do get in touch either through uh, email, you'll find our details online, or if you're in person here uh, afterwards outside, it'd be great to, to get to know you uh, more. In 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 6 and 7, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. It's a beautiful reminder that the Lord is in control of our lives in every detail and that he really does care for us in every way. So let's maybe just take some time to pray, thinking about that. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father who cares for us, um, who is mighty and sovereign and is in control of all things. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to cast our anxiety, cast our troubles, cast our burdens to you because you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're going to hear a really heartwarming big hello from Helen Slaymaker. Hello, my name's Helen Slaymaker and I've lived in Oakley for over 40 years and I started coming to Long Crendon Baptist Church over 40 years ago because at that time I was a health visitor in Long Crendon, another life now, but wherever people were in trouble there was a Welsh pastor in the background and so I thought perhaps he would come and speak to my husband who was ill at the time but I didn't like to ask him unless I went to his church so I thought I could just pop in well you can't do that at Long Crendon but and 40 years later I'm still going there (laughs) and one of the things that that pastor used to say was the best is yet to come and so the verse I'd like to live with you or verses are from John 14 Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I think that's a wonderful promise. And to think whatever happens that... uh, We'll be with Jesus one day. That'll be absolutely wonderful. Great. Let's, um, before we dismiss uh, the children for S Club, let's spend some time in prayer together. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you have prepared a place for us, that Jesus will come and bring us to yourself. And that we thank you, Lord, that we'll be with you forever. And we thank you for that assurance of eternity with you. I pray now for our children. We pray that you would um, help them as they seek to to love you and to live for you. Uh, We pray for all the teachers and all those involved, Lord, that they would point people to Jesus as best they can. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to uh, uh, look at the passage this morning of 1 Peter 5, as I mentioned earlier. And it really, it deals with, um, it deals with pastors and elders, among other things. And we rejoice in the fact that Jesus, Jesus is truly our good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls. Let's, uh, let's pray together before we come to the word. Let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green 
pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd, that your endless mercy follows us and your goodness restores our souls. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing goodness and grace to us, that we as your people are led by you as you guide us through life. Forgive us, Lord, that when we are often like sheep, we just stray from your path. When we are envious of what others have or angry at what others have done. When we do not live, speak, or think in a way that honors you. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for the times in which we grumble and complain of what we do not have. And ultimately, we don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve any goodness from you, but only wrath because of our sin. Yet you extend your mercy to us in abundance, day upon day. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace to us as we come to you by faith. I pray that you would have mercy on the people of India as they strive to provide for their families at a time when they have gone back into full lockdown. And Father, we pray for those in our church family who are going through various trials at the moment. And as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit, that we may be changed to live for our good shepherd, our Lord Jesus. Help John as he reads and Neil as he preaches to speak with authority and power to our hearts. We may see the beauty of Christ. All these things we ask in your gracious and good name. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now I'm going to ask John to come up and read from First Peter 5 before Neil comes up to preach. Let us hear the word of God. We read from 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever Amen with the help of Silas whom I regard as a faithful brother I have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God stand fast in it she who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark greet one another with a kiss of love peace to all of you who are in Christ so reads the word of God thanks John good morning everybody good to see you Let's uh, pray as we come to to God's word. Father God, we do thank you that we can come to you now as the chief shepherd, that you're looking over us, you know us. So help us to come to your word with humility and help us to cast our anxieties onto you, knowing that you care for us and that by your grace you have promised to enable us to stand firm so Lord help us to stand firm this morning in the faith you've given us in Jesus name Amen what is it that um, gets you up in the morning as you think about the worries and the stresses of the, uh, the day ahead or the week ahead maybe you're struggling with illness and each day the seems to be no let up the pain never seems to go away the energy never seems to to come back maybe you're struggling with the pressures of work and again there seems no no end to that maybe you have relationship issues that seem impossible to to resolve maybe it's just the monotony the fact that each day just appears to be the same there's no break in it what gets you up what keeps you, you going? Is it the hope that the end of lockdown is on its way and you may finally get that holiday that you've been looking for? Is it you finally got a hospital appointment uh, and you're hoping they're going to be able to deal with your, your health issue? Is it the prospect of a, a new job uh, or even retirement that gives you the hope of an end to, to your work stress? Well, we're coming to the end of our series in 1 Peter, and this letter, written to Christians scattered throughout what is now modern-day Turkey, has been written by Peter to give them hope, hope to, to keep going, hope to stand firm in the face of their sufferings, hope to get up in the morning. And the focus of that hope is Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 1, we read these wonderful words. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. If we are Christians, we have a prize to look forward to that is referred to in this passage as the crown of glory. Elsewhere, it's called the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, or simply the crown that will last forever. That prize is one day to meet Jesus face to face and to hear him say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. That crown will mark the end of death and suffering, the receiving of new resurrection bodies. That crown will mark an eternity with Jesus. And so this letter is designed to, to help Christians know how to live today with a focus on Jesus coming again and going to be with him. A way of living can be summarized in our verse for the year, which is just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And why is that so important? Well, because when Jesus comes again, he'll be awarding the crown of life to his followers And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we belong to Jesus? Have we professed faith in him? Do people know that? Yes, it's Jesus who has achieved our salvation for us. We we can't achieve that by our own good works. But is it clear from the way that we're living our lives that we are one of his followers? Or do our lives actually not look any different from those who've decided to live their lives their way? We can't afford to drift through life and just hope it will all turn out okay. Given that Jesus may return at any time, three times in this letter, we are told to have minds that are alert and fully sober. Back in chapter 1, it said, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. In chapter 4 last week, we read that those words, and we, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And today, in this passage, we read again those words, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. The wonderful thing is that if we do stand firm, then we will receive that crown of glory that will never fade away. And more importantly, our ability to stand firm doesn't depend on us. It depends on God's grace that is at work in us, as we will see. So how do we stand firm in God's grace? How do we know if we belong to Jesus? Well, three things this morning. Standing firm in God's grace means firstly to willingly serve his people. When we read this letter from Peter, we often forget, um, it's a mature letter, it's a mature church leader, that he was once a young disciple. At the Last Supper on the, the night before Jesus' death, we are told that a dispute arose between the disciples about who was the greatest Sounds pretty crass, doesn't it? He was the son of, of God about to give his life for them. And they were having this little squabble like school children about who was the best. Jesus' response was full of grace. He said to them in Luke 22, he said, The king of the Gentiles lorded over them. 
In other words, worldly rulers just lord it over their people. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. They like to be everyone's friends. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. The greatest of those who serve. There's that point that Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will have denied me three times. And sure enough, it happened just as, as Jesus said. But later, after Jesus had died and risen and met with the disciples again, he took Peter aside. I'm sure Peter would have felt a little bit uncomfortable about that. What was he going to say to him? But this is what Jesus said to him. Let's turn, if you would, to John chapter 15. Keep your fingers in 1 Peter 5. So John 21, the end of the Gospel of John. Let's just recap that little episode. John 21, 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times that Jesus asked Peter corresponded to the three times Peter had denied him. And the way Jesus expected Peter to demonstrate his love for him, to demonstrate that he truly loved him and repented of denying him, was to take care of his sheep. I'm returning to 1 Peter 5, and the, the focus in these first few verses is on the role of elders. Um, Peter addresses this part of the letter to them. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. What does he urge them to do? He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Take care of Jesus' sheep. Peter has learned to do that the hard way, and he is now encouraging other elders in the key thing that they are responsible for. And the greatest way in which they can show that they love Jesus. What God expects from his leaders is very different from what Jesus saw in worldly leaders then and what we see today. That's highlighted in the instructions that Peter gives to the elders about how they should lead. Three, three contrasts we see in these verses. Firstly, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. There are lots of roles that people take on out of a sense of obligation. Uh, society relies on, on volunteers, and they do a good job. Just the other day, uh, Bear Grylls, the, the chief scout, was appealing for more scout leaders. They got lost a lot during lockdown. Um, and some, no doubt, uh, will respond because they're willing to serve. They want to serve and help out in that way. Others may just feel maybe their children have been scouts, and there's that sense of obligation that they'd need to do 
their bit. God wants his people to serve, not because they feel obliged, but because they're willing. Because they love him and they love his people. It's the same principle that applies to to our giving. In 2 Corinthians 9 it says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Secondly, watch over the flock, um, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Dishonest gain refers to some unscrupulous financial benefit, uh, but for the elders who are not pastors, there's no financial gain at all. Pastors don't really enter ministry uh, for financial reasons. Elders serve because they are eager to serve. And I'm extremely grateful to our, our lay elders who give up so much for the flock. Not just the time they give up, it's the, the emotional energy that they're willing to spend on what can be very challenging issues. It's the willingness to go on the front line of spiritual attack. There's no earthly reward, but they do it because they love God's people and they want to feed the sheep. Well, the same goes for others throughout the church who are, who are eager to serve, um, not just to have their name put down on a rotor to help out occasionally, but who are eager to use the gifts God's given them to serve his people. Their incentive is not recognition or payment because often there is none. Their incentive is in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Thirdly, watch over the flock, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It's been pretty sad this week, hasn't it? Been to to read um, or hear the the account Dominic Cummings has given of the failings of the government during the the pandemic, and uh, not just the mistakes made, but the way the cabinet members, in his view, um, have behaved towards uh, one another. In politics, as in many other areas of life, there'll be people who are desperate for positions of responsibility for the wrong reasons, because they like to lord it over others. They enjoy the power, they enjoy the status. And the worrying thing is that these um, leaders these days are elected not so much on the basis of their integrity, their moral character, but often on their personality or their perceived giftings. For God, the number one requirement for a leader in the church is humility. He may be the most gifted leader in many ways, but unless he has humility, then he cannot take on, uh, he cannot take care of the flock as God wants. Because he would be putting his own needs above those of the flock. It's incredibly sad when we read of church leaders who fall, um, and not just because of sexual morality, but because of a lack of humility and to end up abusing their authority. Uh, none of us elders is immune from that, and so we need you to call us to account when we may be putting our own interests before those of the church. At the same time, we're told um, in verse 5, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And given the context here, I don't think this is referring to those younger in age submitting to those older in age, um, but a submission to those in positions of authority in the church. Uh, I think the submission has come up a number of times in this letter, isn't it? And it makes us feel uh, uncomfortable. 
Because we, we don't like to submit. We don't like the fact that someone else has authority over us. Whether it's the government, whether it's our employer, or in the case of a marriage, it's our husband. But when those in authority are acting as they should be, acting uh, where the husband is caring for the wife sacrificially, where the elders are caring for their sheep, then it becomes a much easier thing to do. And so in the words of Hebrews 13, we're told, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. And the next three words are the most important in that passage. Pray for us, which is what we as elders most appreciate when we know that people are praying for us uh, because we need those prayers. We can't care for the flock in our own strength. So thank you for your encouragements and for when you make our work a joy and not a burden. But going back to 1 Peter 5, as elders, we need to be humble. But as Peter says in verse 5, we all need to be humble. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We all need to put the interests of others before our own. And it's wonderful when you see that happening in the, the life of the church, when you, you care for each other in practical ways, with, with meals, with lifts, with, with errands, when you care for each other spiritually. When you take the time after a tiring day's work to, to lead a home group, or just to attend a home group, knowing that your presence is an encouragement to, to others there. It's wonderful to be in a prayer meeting and listen to people praying for the needs of others and expressing their love for them in that way. The reason that God opposes the, the proud but shows favor to the humble is that to be proud is to say, I can do this in my own strength. I don't need anybody else's help. God has given us each other as a gift. So who are we to reject his gift? We can't be Christians on our own. We need each other. But most importantly, we need God, which brings us on to our next point. Standing firm in God's grace means to humble yourselves by casting all your anxiety on him. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. The NIV translation here misses out the fact that cast is a participle. And so instead of uh, it being a new sentence with a new command, it's actually um, uh, humble yourselves by casting all your anxiety on God. And let's be honest, we all have anxieties. They may be the normal low-level worries of everyday life, or they may be more serious anxieties that cause panic attacks that may prevent us from functioning. The question is, are we denying them? Are we trying to deal with them in our own strength? Or are we taking them to the Lord and casting them on him? Are we sharing our anxieties with one another so that they can pray for us? Anxieties may result from all sorts of reasons. And Jesus doesn't judge us for our anxieties. 
but he does judge us when we're too proud to seek help. Because as we cast our anxieties on the Lord and seek his help, that we can find healing, that we can grow in our relationship with him and in our love for him. At our home group leaders meeting the, the other evening, we were talking about a resource that we plan to use in the autumn called Real Change. And the whole premise of the course is uh, the biblical understanding that God wants us to, to cast our burdens on him. That instead of being a hostage to the, the hardships of life and the pain and the misery they bring, we can be rescued and that pain and misery can be replaced with a peace and a joy. We can grow in our relationship with him and we can be filled with his spirit, which is what he, he wants us to be. Instead of being laid low, he wants to lift us up by his mighty power and change us more into the likeness of Christ. We won't see Jesus in all his glory until he comes again. But the Holy Spirit can give us a clearer vision of his glory even now. The reason the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was able to to face death by stoning, as it says in Acts 7, was this, Stephen, full of the Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. As you look back on your life, or maybe now, when were the moments that you felt closest to God? Wasn't it in those times of weakness? When you acknowledge that, that uh, you are weak, but in God, you can be strong? Certainly I've experienced that, so when I've realized that his grace was sufficient for me, that his power was made perfect in my weakness. Standing firm in God's grace means to humble yourselves by casting all your anxiety on him. And finally, standing firm in God's grace means to resist the devil. As we said earlier, the words at the beginning of verse 8, be alert and of sober mind, come up three times in this short letter. And in this chapter, it adds these words, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How are we called to respond to him? We're called to resist him, standing firm in the faith. But what enables us to, to do that, to, to resist him and stand firm in the faith? Well, two things, by knowing, first of all, that we're not on our own. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. As I asked before, when Jesus comes again, how will it be clear that we belong to him? In one way is because of our suffering. Suffering is a mark of the follower of Jesus. Throughout the world, Christians are suffering for their faith. Some in ways that we may never experience. Such as Adam in Saudi Arabia, a former Muslim who became a Christian, helped his sister-in-law flee the country. He's been imprisoned, he's been flogged, he's been threatened with death while he awaits his trial for helping her flee and for trying to convert Muslims to Christianity. Our suffering in this country for being a Christian may be limited to, to losing our job, Maybe limited social rejection. But even then our temptation will be to give in to the devil 
rather than resist him because we don't want to lose our financial security. We don't want to lose our popularity. We don't want to, to lose out on the worldly pleasures that others seem to enjoy. It would not be, always be easy to resist the devil, to stand firm in our faith. And knowing what other believers throughout the world are enduring for the sake of Christ is a great inspiration to us. But what also enables us to resist him is God's grace. And in this wonderful conclusion to the letter in verse 10, we read these great words. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Your suffering may not be the suffering that we experience for being a Christian. It may just be the suffering that comes from living in a fallen world. And it may feel like that has just gone on for forever. And you're wondering if uh, God will ever bring it to an end. But in the context of eternity, it is a little while. You have an eternal glory to look forward to. Or life may be pretty good for you. In which case, are you focused on the crown of glory that will never fade away or the short-term pleasures of this life? The more we together focus on the glory to come and receiving that crown of glory, the more we will see lives changed by Christ, our own lives as we grow in Christ's likeness, and of others as they come to know Jesus through the witness of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we know there may be many here in this room who are struggling at the moment. There may be many watching online. We thank you for the encouragement to cast our anxieties on you. Because you care for us. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be open with one another, recognizing that we may be the instruments of your grace to one another. Thank you for the love you have for us, and thank you that we can express that love for you as we willingly serve you and and your people. Father, we thank you for those believers worldwide who are standing firm in their faith, resisting the devil. Lord, may they be an inspiration to us, and Lord, may we stand firm, trusting in your grace and your power that is at work in us, and trusting that we will one day receive that crown of glory that will last forever. We praise you for that. Amen. Let's pray as we close with the words from First Peter 5. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.